Well, good afternoon. I invite you to open your Bibles up to 1 John chapter 2. And we'll get started from there in just a few minutes. 1 John chapter 2. Well, I'm honored to be with you. I have missed doing things like this and being a part of things like this because of COVID. A lot of people have um, been struggling the last couple years. It's good that you're back on track having some of these things. People need it. I mean, we need as much uh, time spent with God and His Word as we can get. So just appreciate being able to, to be here and help out with this too. But it is one of my least favorite things to do because then you're put on the spot with like, oh, they expect me to have like five really good lessons. And then I start looking back through my lessons and I ask my wife, you know, like which ones of these should I preach? And she says, you shouldn't preach any of those. And then after a few times, you know, I'm, I'm kind of struggling for what to preach. So this is what I landed on. And this is what my theme is going to be as we study together uh, this weekend. I'm going to talk about things I've learned from preaching. And here's why. Because I've been preaching at the same church for 17 years this year. And if you've listened to preachers like Greg, um, they have a lot of cool like preacher stories and things like that. And it's cool because he's preached at different churches and he can tell those. All my stories are from people that are still there like in the congregation. So I've got all these stories bottled up that I've been dying to tell people. And now you're going to get all of the gossip from my church back home. Um, no, it, it's not gossip, but it's, it really is like lessons that you learn. Now, you learn a lot by reading your Bible. I mean, everybody reads our Bible, hopefully, and go to Bible class and study. But when it comes to like learning real-life lessons, I mean, your parents will tell you this. Did you learn more in school, or did you learn more once you got a job and started working? Well, you might have gotten a foundation from going to school, but, man, you really see things when you're out there just kind of grinding and getting it done. And that's the same way with Christianity, right? You can read it, and you can know it, but when you live it and have experience, you really know it. I'll just ask you a question. I mean, would you rather go hear a guy that has watched a lot of football talk about football or a guy who played football in the NFL? Right again, a Tennessee Titans player over here and then me, armchair quarterback. Of course, you'd want to know from experience, like the guy that's like lived in and actually did it. But I mean, I know more than him, but you'd still probably rather talk about things with him. It's the same way with church, right? Is it any surprise that God wants the leadership of the church to not be novices, right? To have a family. We look at qualifications for elders. Why would God want that? I mean, can I be as smart as you are as a teenager? I mean, can I read the Bible just like you? Well, yeah, you can. But there's something about living that'll just make these things very real to you. God appreciates that, and I've learned to appreciate it too, because let me tell you, when I started preaching at 25, I'm 42 now, Looking back, I'm like, I don't have any idea why they would let me preach. And I'm sure years from now, I'll look back when I was 42 and say, why did they let me preach when I was 42? Hopefully, as we mature, we learn some things. And my goal is to share that with you this weekend. And hopefully, our time together will be profitable. One good thing, too, I'll, I'll say, um, I was talking with Sarah. That's where we're staying for the weekend. And she said, you know, my dad, they love him. He doesn't preach that long. You know, 25 minutes, 30 minutes. And so that kind of freaks me out because I usually preach a lot longer than that. And so I'm going to do the best I can to, as I told lady in the back, short and sweet. Um, if anything, I'm going to do my best to, uh, to say what I got to say and, and get done. So here's a lesson for tonight that will start at least the four o'clock hour. I want to talk to you about what I've learned about friendship with the world. What I want to talk to you 
about right now is friendship with the world. And when we talk about that term, you know, in general, um, people would know just in a Bible setting, like, I don't want to be friends with the world. You know, friendship with the world is a bad thing. And you would acknowledge that. You would tell me that. We could read verses about that, and we will. We'll look at a few. But then you go out and you kind of live your life, right? And, you know, you leave the confines of the church building, and you're kind of swayed by the bright lights of things, right? I mean, you look at how young people are raised today and, you know, kind of the dreams and ambitions people have. I mean, the world is at the forefront of all of those, right? I mean, we want to go to New York City and we've never seen the bright lights of Times Square. And that's on our bucket list. And we want to travel overseas and we want to, you know, go on a cruise. And we've got all these things that we want to do. And in general, when you talk to people about those, especially young people, not many of them at all are really centered about, you know, spiritual things. Like, oh, my overall goal in life is to marry a Christian woman and, you know, raise godly children. Like, if someone tells you that, it is literally in a Bible class when you ask somebody what their goal is. Go ask them on Tuesday, and they're like, here's what my plan is. You know, here's what I'm going to do. And now that I've got children, we've got five children, I'm sure you'll see them at some point. They'll probably run into you. I apologize in advance. But with, with that reality, man, what, what's, what do I want my kids' relationship with the world to be? I mean, I remember when I was young, like, what do I want from my parents as far as, you know, guarding my relationship with the world. Well, I don't want them to guard me at all, right? I want to enjoy all those things. And when you're in your teens, you're kind of just fighting for the freedom and independence to experience everything the world has to offer. I mean, who enjoys having their parents say, hey, you can't watch that, or you can't go here, you can't do this, right? I want to be able to go and do everything. And that mentality is something that I see far too often, not just in young Christians, but mature Christians. Now, I I will say this as we kind of open the lesson. I think in general, what I've seen a lot from Christians in America is we want as much of the world as we can have and still go to heaven. And I'll just tell you, that is a very dangerous mentality to have, right? We want as much of the world as we can have and still go to heaven. God warns us in 1 John chapter 2, um, in verse 15, I've got it on the screen, but you can read in your Bible. I mean, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world's passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. I mean, the Bible's full of very strong statements, but this is one that ought to just stick in our heart and our mind. I want you to remember this verse because of how compelling God outlines this truth. He's like, it's really one or the other. Because if you have an affection for the world, basically the love of God can't be in you. I mean, that's tough, right? I mean, because for many of us, affection for the world is wrapped up in who we are. I mean, you were doing something before this, probably not spiritual. I mean, right? You were doing something and you're going to do something after this. And spirituality kind of injects itself into our lives a lot of times. It's like, well, we put down our worldly things and then we'll go pick up our Bibles for a bit and then we'll put those down and go back to living how we're living. But I want to challenge us to be more in love with God and less in love with this world 
because we are under assault, especially our young people. I mean, you are under assault for people to make you fall in love with the world. That's what they want you to do. At every turn, the world wants your attention, your affection, and your finances. We went today, we stopped by Ollie, Ollie's Bargain Outlet. I needed a belt. Mine broke yesterday. And that's a, it's a prerequisite. Your pants cannot fall down while preaching a gospel meeting. Grabbed a belt. And my son had his little meager, you know, wallet. Um, and he's looking around at things. And the way Ollie displays prices, it's like their price was $50 and our price is $10. And my son, I mean, seven years old, and he looks at it and he's like, oh, dad, that must be a good deal. Maybe I should get it. I was like, son, they're just trying to get you to think it's a good deal. I mean, this is the same price you could get it probably anywhere else, but they're trying to motivate you to think, hey, if I don't get this now, you know, I'm I'm missing out on something. Do you realize that everybody you meet, every person you meet, everything in this world wants something from you, right? They, They want you. And we are at war and at odds with that ideology and those things. I got 2 Corinthians 10 on the board, three verses that I'll read. He says, To the church there, for though we walk in the flesh, we're not waging war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. You know, we talk about our spiritual warfare, you know, time and time again. And if we could go out as men and like fight a battle for God, I mean, we'd probably all do it, right? I mean, if God said, I've got real armor for you to put on, and i got a sword, I want you to go out, and there's going to be an enemy over that hill, and we're going to fight this battle for God. Like, we could do it. But God says, look, this is not the battle that I want you to fight. It doesn't mean battles aren't being fought. He outlines what this type battle is. Like, it's not a fleshly thing. It is a mindset, an ideology, and ideas. And we have got to bring all of those things in captive to Jesus Christ. And the world wants, this is what it wants. It wants your mind. It wants your thoughts. It wants all those things. And then there's going to be no room for God at all. They don't want you to have a split second to do anything else. And that's what's, um, that's what's so scary is because it's like, Every second of the day can be spent engaged with worldly things today. And it's such a a daunting challenge for parents and young people too. I mean, here's a reality. We are in a relationship with God. right? When you become a Christian, you are literally married to God in a very real sense. Paul says, speaking to the church again, I feel a divine jealousy for you since I betrothed you to one husband. To present you as a pure virgin to Christ. But I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from a sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Here's the challenge. We are supposed to be in a relationship with God. But we're worried on one hand that I might not be faithful in that relationship to God. I may really end up being in a relationship with the world. And my thoughts are led astray from devotion to Christ. You see that same word again? 
Like when my thoughts are taken away from God, when I'm thinking about the world, then I'm going to develop this relationship with the world and ignore my relationship to Jesus Christ. So here's what I want to do the rest of our time um, this afternoon. I want us to think about how relationships develop. Right? How relationships develop. And in looking at how relationships develop, we will be able to see if we are developing a relationship to God or we're developing a relationship with the world. And just following those analogies, I think it'll be pretty clear to see if we're in love with the world or we're in love with God and the things of God. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at four ways that... uh, that I think we can do that. So if you got your Bibles, we'll, we'll look at a few things in just a minute. But I, I want to put these on the board here for just a second. If you are ever wondering if our minds or ideologies are under attack or people want to influence you, all you got to do is cut on the news, right? And whatever news station that you watch, I will guarantee you one thing. You are influenced and affected by Whatever you listen to. I mean, it just happens. I remember this, uh, and I don't care if you watch the news or not, but you remember the Kyle Rittenhouse trial that went on about the right to self-defense and he was under attack and he ended up killing people. But people were wondering like whether he's guilty or not, whether he was an antagonist or whether it was true self-defense. And I remember, crazy as it could be, talking to my sister, who's a Christian. She goes to church in Alabama. And she told me, I mean, we were just in the car and she's like, yeah, I really, you know, I hate how guilty this guy is. And I was like, guilt? what do you mean? I don't, I don't think he's guilty. Where'd you get that he was guilty? She's like, well, I just happened to have on CNN and they showed the, uh, the case of the prosecution. And I was like, okay, well, did they show the defense? Well, come to think of it, they, they didn't show anything about the defense. It was just the prosecution side of things and it sounded real bad. And I was like, Heather, I actually just watched the trial. I, I had it on while I was working. And I was like listening to the trial And I heard both sides, and to me, it's like a a super clear case of self-defense. And she, again, a Christian, very innocently, is having her mind affected by what she's allowing into her ears. But she's not malicious. She's not a liberal. She's not what you would consider in any way, shape, or form somebody that uh, would normally think that way. Um, She's got a bunch of guns in her house. But here in just an idle moment, her thoughts were turned away from maybe what was right. And again, what was right, I'm not getting political, but whatever the court decided um, based on all the evidence was that he was innocent. So I just I want to challenge you that we need to be very careful about how we develop relationships with the world and our exposure to it. All right, number one, and I think we got four points, and, uh, and then we'll be done. Number one, how do you love the world? How do you love anybody? How do we develop relationships with anybody? Well, number one, you've got to get exposure to it. All right? You can't love anything or anyone if you have no exposure to it. Let me give you an example. I mean, you see the cheesy love stories on TV, and how do they start sometimes? It's like, you know, Greg may be on a subway, and Cindy's outside of the subway, and she looks at Greg, and they just have this moment of connection. And, and love is going to follow. That, is, is that how y'all met? That's not how y'all met. But it's, it's how real people meet, right? Well, no. But that's how things start. All right, I met Anna at a gospel meeting. And, uh, you know, I didn't know her. I mean, we didn't fall in love at that moment. 
But let me tell you, I would not be married to Anna if I hadn't had some initial exposure to her. Right? I mean, we had to get to know each other first, and that always starts with some very initial exposure. I want you to turn your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 11, and we'll look at that for a second. I got a picture up here, and um, it's always funny. Raising kids, they cannot read, but they can understand from the earliest of ages. Right? They can't read at all, but you can drive by, and I mean, your little one-year-old back there, you know, or two-year-old, and they will see a sign, and they will say, McDonald's! I'm like, how do you, how do you even know this? And it's that they've associated, you know, the idea of what's happening with something. I mean, the, the funniest thing I remember, and Anna and her sisters here, and they'll, they'll probably remember this too. Um, one of my youngest kids was in the car, and their grandpa, Grandpa Dave, goes in Little Caesars and gets a pizza. And he comes, he brings it back into the car, and I mean, the car door shuts, and my kid's in this like rear-facing car seat, and all he can muster to say is, Dave, pizza! Dave, pizza! Like they know with a square box, like what is going on. And how do they know that, right? They are becoming worldly people just by this very little initial exposure to things. How powerful is exposure? First Kings chapter 11, I mean, you've got the smartest, wisest guy, um, God-given wisdom doing something that all of us ought to acknowledge as a big no-no from an Old Testament perspective. What did God warn the children of Israel to do? Well, I don't want you to marry foreign wives. Now, why did God not want you to marry foreign wives? Well, there was one reason. They might affect your spirituality. And that really was it. Right? God's not racist in that sense. God is not looking at the color of people's skins. What God is concerned about is your spirituality. And so from God's perspective, you need to form some kind of barriers to this because the more you're exposed to something, the worse trouble you're going to be in. And so in chapter 11 and verse 1, it says, But Solomon, King Solomon loved many foreign women, as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, women of the Moabites and the Ammonites and the Edomites and the Sidonians and the Hittites, from the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts after their gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Now, did Solomon love God? Well, I mean, he did. But Solomon also loved these women. And how did this relationship start? He married them. He got exposure to them. And I don't know, and I'm surmising here, but it's hard to imagine Solomon saying, you know, I'm thinking about building a couple bales here. Um, maybe go find some women that uh, worship Baal, and I'll, I'll build them for them. No way. He would have never thought as he engaged with these women, you know, I'm going to end up doing this, I'm, I'm sure. But over time, something happens to us as we're exposed to the world. I've got up here Judges chapter 16. You might remember the story of Samson. And remember Samson's good influence? Yeah, Delilah. She was such a good influence that he caused, she caused him to really end up ultimately um, dying because he gave her the secret of his strength. The Philistines trying to overthrow him. And do you remember in verse 16 what it said? It came to pass when she pestered him daily with her words and pressed him that his soul was vexed to death. 
that he told her all his heart and said to her, no razor had ever come upon my head. I mean, think about that situation. What was the downfall of Solomon and Samson? It was their exposure to ungodly people. That's where it started. If he had never had a relationship with Delilah, if if Solomon had never married all these foreign wives, their stories would be very different. And what I've seen in the world is, man, we we are in bed with a lot of the things of the world. You want to talk about social media? You want to talk about music? You want to talk about movies? You want to talk about games? This is American life. And those things are built and produced by the world. Right now, Christian companies may try to sneak in here every once in a while. But in general, the world owns all these things. And let me tell you what they're concerned with. Well, they're not concerned with spirituality. Right? They're concerned with promiscuity or excitement or emotion or the flesh. Right? Nothing here is helping draw us closer to God. And so I ask you, if you had to live a life without all of these things... Do you think it would be worth it if you went to heaven? Now, that's kind of a tough statement, isn't it? I mean, because, Stephen, are you saying that, you know, i got to go through my life and never have a social media account? I mean, do I, you know, as a kid, like, should, should I not get a phone? I mean, should I not, not listen to music? I mean, worldly music? Should I not do these things? Because let me tell you, when I was a kid, I was allowed to do some of those things. I was joking with Stephen earlier today. It's like can't believe my parents would let me watch that growing up. You know, well, again, I'm not indicting my, my parents. I'm trying to be who I should be for my kids. And what if you just said, hey, no way. If you're growing up in my home, we're not doing any of this stuff. Well, you know what your kids would say? Dad, you're crazy. I mean, you're, you're crazy. How can, you, how can you live life this way? Well, let me tell you what starts you down the road to problems. Exposure to these type things. Now, I've asked a friend yesterday, um, who I know has had some challenges with his family as they've grown up. And I asked him to tell me, I was like, looking back, and he was a preacher, looking back, what do you think were pivotal moments in the direction your family took? And you know what he said? He said some things that at the time seemed very innocent, like his kids watching the Disney Channel and Hannah Montana, and some things that at the time seemed very innocent, but he said got their eyes open to the kind of clothes people wear in the world, the kind of things people enjoy, the humor that they have. And here he's not telling me about this seminal moment later in life where they're, you know, using marijuana or they're doing this kind of stuff. He's looking back at the very earliest of ages where the initial exposure happened and said, I I think we kind of took a wrong turn here thinking it wasn't that big of a deal. Because let me tell you, once you expose people to it, Every time we drive by it, guess what they want? They don't want mama's home cooking. Dad, I need the chicken nuggets and the fries. And you try to take your kids home after that and say, we're having broccoli and grilled chicken? What are they going to say to you? I hate you, Dad. I'm going to live with another family. Right? But it's too late. It's too late. And you remember and remembers, right? We're, we're mushing up avocado and we're shoving it in their mouth and we're trying all these vegetables. But the minute a nugget hits that lip... You're done for the rest of your life. And, and it's, it's real, right? That initial exposure is tough. Let, let me be honest. We're never going to be able to escape the world. And I'm not saying that's the direction that you've got to go. Because what I, I don't think you can do is, again, prevent your children from exposure to the world for the rest of their lives. But what you better do 
is set, set some kind of safeguards about the things that they're exposed to. Uh, I work for AT&T as well as preaching, and every once in a while we'll have some like kickoff where all these executives get together and we'll get to listen to them. And I sat by one of the highest people in the company for this roundtable discussion, and it's the phone company. And this guy seemed very conservative. He had served overseas in Iraq and um, you know, seemed to be a very conservative guy. So I asked him at dinner, I, he talked about his daughters, and I said, Sir, looking back, I mean, at what age do you think it's right to give a phone to kids? And he just kind of looked down his plate. He's like, I don't even know if I can answer that. That's the phone company, right? You know what I want you to do? I want you to have a phone in every pocket. I want you to have two phones in case you lose one, right? I mean, we don't care necessarily about people's spiritual well-being. And here I put it to an executive at the company, you know, should you give this to your daughter? And he's like, yeah, I don't know. It's probably later, probably later than I did. You know, do you have any guidance today? on what you're letting your kids get exposed to? Is there any conversation that you've had as a family or are you just letting them go and just kind of experiencing things on their own? Right? If you are starting them down this path of exposure, let me tell you, they're going to want a taste and a taste and a taste again. Secondly, once you've had exposure, this is how you grow a relationship with the world. Number two, you spend time with it. Growing a relationship with the world, you spend time with it. I got Matthew chapter 13 here for us to read for a minute. And I just want to read one part of Jesus' parable of the sower. And in reading this, I mean, I'm sure you remember the text where he talks about the kind of people that receive the word of God and bear fruit, or the kind of people that receive the word of God and fall away. And he said in verse 22 about this particular kind, now he who received received seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful you know one of the things that destroy your relationship with god is the world i mean that's what does it right it doesn't give us the freedom to grow and develop and i got a picture up here of a bunch of thorns and a little green plant. And let me tell you, how much hope does that plant have to grow and be a thriving thing? Well, it probably doesn't have much hope at all. And there are many of us whose family lives are surrounded by and fostering worldly things. And I get it, right? I mean, when you look at it, um, you know, most of the stuff we're talking about is not, not sinful, right? I mean, I know kids that go to the church where I preach, who the parents joke like we're gone every day to the ball field. I'm there at the ball field every day. Well, is that good for your kids? I don't know. I mean, don't you want your kids to play sport? What kind of horrible, horrible parent are you? Well, here's the thing. If your life is one event to the next, all centered on worldly things, guess what my kids are going to think life is all about? Right? It's all about learning worldly things at school. It's all about going to work and making money so we can spend it on worldly things. It's about enjoying ourselves with worldly games and then going home and watching other things and playing games until we fall asleep. And then we're scrambling, you know, 10 minutes before church, like, hey, did you get your Bible? Did you get your Bible lesson? You know, all these things. And, and we try to shove spirituality in a giant sea of thorns. And you look back later on and you're like, I don't know why my kids didn't grow up right. And I'm not talking about your kids, right? I'm talking about our kids. I'm talking about me, right? I'm having to navigate this stuff. 
Because I want my kids to enjoy themselves. I mean, thankfully, I mean, no offense, none of y'all are athletic, so I'm not real worried about the sports thing. You know, I mean, they do like a few things. But in general, right, we're not going to play in the NBA. We're not going to win any awards or accolades. And the sooner we acknowledge where recreation fits in our lives, I mean, the better we're going to be. But what this passage teaches us is just the cares of the world, right? The things that consume us, the things we're just worried about, they choke out our spirituality. I know all of you would cut out the sin from your life, but we can fill it with so much fun that there's nothing left for God. And then we look back and wonder what happens. Number three, do you have any reasonable limits on time spent in worldly pursuits? I have worthless up there and that's... That's what I meant to say. Because what they really are. Right? I was joking because I, I play basketball. And you might think, like, who is this guy? He's talking about grilled chicken and basketball. And none of those things look like they're happening in his life. Um, I play basketball with guys at church. And it's very easy for us to get mad. And it's very easy for us to get frustrated. Because we lose when we play. We're not tall like the Gwens. Like, we're, there's a bunch of guys like me. And we lose and they get mad. And this is what I tell them. I told him last Thursday after we lost, hey guys, you know what? You know how we get together and play basketball? Because I like spending time with you. I like encouraging you. I like talking with you. And if we won every game, do you know what we would be? We would be the men's B-League, Forsyth County, Central Park, Recreation Center champions. Do you know what a loser thing that is to win? Like if we won every one of these games, we're still total losers. Like again, listen to me kids. I don't care if you get the gold, silver, platinum trophy on Halo, the latest Halo that came out. I don't care if you're the best at Black Ops and you got a killing streak to make all your friends proud. Like, whatever you're a champion of in this world is totally worthless. And when you look back on it, you are not going to say, hey, look, you know, I'm so glad I spent all my time on this. Because it's not going to matter. I mean, you're going to look old, you're going to be old, and you're going to die, and nobody's going to remember any of that. And the only thing left is going to be your spiritual relationship with God. And so if you're not telling your kids, like, I'm not taking you here every night. We're not investing in all these things. We're not spending our money or our time on this. Then what you're allowing is all of this stuff that doesn't matter to develop a relationship with the world. Because that's what's going to happen. And let me go back to what I said at the beginning. How do you develop a relationship? Guys, if you're trying to meet a girl, first thing you got to do, you got to go up to her, right? Hey, I'm glad you came to this young people's thing. My name's Steven. How are you? Once you have that initial exposure, then what's the next step? You need to spend more and more time together. That's how you develop love in a relationship. You start doing those things. Next thing you know, you're going to have a relationship. Third, this is what's going to happen. You really want to develop a relationship. I mean, a strong relationship. You got to prioritize it you got to prioritize it. Luke chapter 16 and verse 13. Another strong passage that God warns us about things of the world. He simply tells us, you know, you think you can serve two things, but you can't. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You can't do it. It's impossible. You can't love one thing and love another. You got to pick one. I'm going to go way back in time here for my next story, but I met Anna and Lydia and Sarah a long time ago. 
And when I met Anna and Sarah and Lydia, they were going to Bible studies, um, you know, and I, I, they would meet guys at these Bible studies, but they're there for the Bible studies. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to argue with any of that. But in doing so, you know, I would be a part of their conversations as they would talk over and over again about whether some guy liked them or, you know, they like so-and-so. And this book had come out uh, that was called He's Just Not That Into You. And this had some real wisdom in there about telling girls how to really get the signs that the guy's not really that interested. Because, you know, a girl would go out on a date with a guy and she'd wait on him to call or text or whatever. And... Um, Texting was big back then because it was the T9 texting where you had to hit the number a hundred times. And I mean, if you got a text from a guy, it literally took him an hour to text. So it meant, I love you. And when you see this, you know, this book, it was helping girls realize, you know, this guy that I really, really like doesn't like me back. And some of the highlights from this, I want to just put these on the board um, real quick as we think through them. This is what it looks like when you don't love someone. You're not quick to communicate, right? If he's not dying to talk to you, if he's not calling you back, if he's not saying, hey, you know, what's going on with you today? He probably doesn't care. He's always too busy, right? Got something else to do. Hunting season, going out with the guys, doing whatever, right? All these excuses, I got something going on. Well, how about the next day? Well, you just sound pathetic. You know, if he's interested, he won't be too busy. Won't commit, you know, says he can do something, but he's not sure. Maybe we'll get together. Uh, verse four avoids, verse four, number four avoids posting about you on social media, right? You're sending all the pictures out of, you know, how excited you were to be with so-and-so last night. Nothing about you on there says one thing, but does another, um, that's a clue. And then six dating a person who has a close friend that is an ex of theirs, right? That's a telltale sign, right? They might still be interested in this other person and they're not really committed to you. I want you to think about this in spiritual ways. I want you to think about this. If God looked at you, would God say, he's just not that into me? Right? Are you somebody that never really talks to God? Never praying, never speaking to him, never talking, never letting him know what's going on. Are you always too busy for God? Where when it's things like this, you're like, well, we can't do it tonight. You know, we got to do something else. Are, Are you hesitant to commit to God? I mean, to really put God first in your life? Do you ever say anything about Jesus on social media? Right? I mean, if God looked at your social media feed, would He see a thing about Him at all? Or is it just me and me and me? Right? I mean, when you look at these, right? And, and number six, man, that really applies to God. Does God look at you and hate how close you are with the things you said you were going to give up? I mean, if God would look at us many times... He would say, you're, you're really not just into me. You're, you're just not. You don't really care about me. And here's why. Because we prioritize every other thing in the world but God. This is what happens. I mean, I will never forget family members coming in to visit someone at a church I used to go to. And the person saying, hey, we're not going to be there because our family's coming in and they don't go to church. Well, isn't this like a prime opportunity to show them like, hey, we're going to church because I love Jesus and that's what God wants me to do and these are my real friends anyway? But it's like, no, family comes in, you get any pressure and you just cave. Like, what does that tell God? You are not important to Him. You don't love Him. You're not in this relationship with Him. But if you want to be in love with somebody, this is what you do. 
God gets the priority every time, every way. Fourth, and finally, when you're in a relationship, this is what you're going to do. Right? If you want to know whether or not you love God or you love the things in the world, whatever you love, you will guard it jealously. Now, jealousy, in general, is a bad word, right? We don't like the word jealousy um, because generally it's associated with envy and we use that word in a negative way. Like, I don't want to be a jealous person. But man, have you ever been in a relationship and you got a little bit of jealousy in there? Well, some of that is a good thing, right? I mean, if you were, you know, a girl and the guys, you know, you're like, hey, I'm going to go out tonight with the girls. And he's like, yeah, I don't care. Do whatever you want to do. Like you, you want a little bit of, well, don't you want to do something with me? Brethren, God, let me tell you, is a jealous God. Now, when God says he's a jealous God, there's no negativity about that at all, right? God only has perfect attributes and he's got those in 100% capacity. And so when God is jealous, it means he is just wanting what is his, right? We're in a relationship. And so when God sees us going somewhere and doing something that we shouldn't, right? God's, God's jealous about it. And in that relationship, we find out what we're really jealous for. I want you to turn to Matthew 19, and I want to read another verse from here. Again, a familiar story, but these things are so true. When you think about the story of the rich young ruler, and you think about what Jesus asked him to do, When Jesus says in verse 21, if you want to be perfect, go and sell what you have and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and come follow me. When he heard the young man, when the young man heard that saying, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. Then Jesus said to his disciples, assuredly, I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And you know what we do with verses like this? Where we have these great warnings where God's like, listen, let me tell you exactly what you need to do to follow me. And then you read these verses and you spend, you know, 20 minutes talking about how it's not really, it not really applies to me. It's not really talking about me. And let me tell you what I experienced just last week. There's a guy that comes to visit the church. He was a friend of somebody that's been visiting. And I don't know anything about him. But he's got a long beard and he looks a little bit unkempt. And turns out, you know, he lives in some kind of commune. Now, I'm sitting here after lunch, and I'm trying to talk a little bit more about him. And he talks about his life. It was very compelling to me. He said he lived in the West Coast. He lived in Los Angeles. And he had a very worldly job. And he met a guy that taught him the gospel. And he met a guy and taught him the gospel. And part of teaching him the gospel was, you know, you can't continue to live the lifestyle you're living here in L.A. and be a Christian. So this guy said, you know, I wrestled with this stuff for a while, but I mean, I'm reading the Bible and I just need to give some of this up. Like I can't be in this profession as he was a, some kind of photographer and he made clothes and he was making a lot of money. And so he said, I just sold my businesses. And I just gave the money away. So I'm like, okay, this is a weird dude, you know. You just come to my church and uh, you, can, you can do whatever, right? And he goes on and on. He's talking about this. And I hear his friend talk about how, you know, people behind the grocery store throw away perfectly good food. 
And I remember doing that because I worked at Winn-Dixie in Alabama for a while, and we would, right? Once stuff reached a date, you would just throw everything in the trash. And thinking about this guy, like, working odd jobs just to make a living, and he would go around and draw things on the streets of the cities, asking people what they were going to do with their life and asking them about Jesus. And he's like, yeah, we kind of try to follow the Acts 2 model. If you're familiar with Acts 2, I'm like, I'm familiar with Acts 2. Are you familiar with Acts 2? And so we start talking about it. And he's like, yeah, we just wanted to live in a place where we had everything in common. And yes, I wanted to have, I wanted to have real Christianity where I give these things up. And we start talking about baptism. And he's like, oh yeah, no, I'm totally, totally with you there. We start talking about marriage, divorce, and remarriage. He's like, wow, are you guys Mennonites? Because nobody else believes this. But he had like found the truth on so many issues. But here he is, just living with nothing because of the gospel. And all I'm left to sit there and be like, he just thinks I'm a total heathen. Now, why do I say any of this? Why do I explain this to you? Well, look, if you have a lesson like this, where I challenge you about some things to maybe do your life different. Maybe you don't do some things that you did. Maybe you curtail, hey, you know, we get home and everybody just watch TV and veg out for the rest of their lives. Right? Maybe we're going to put a stop to this. Maybe we're going to rethink the engagement that my family has or that I myself have with the things of this world. And what's going to happen? What's going to happen when something that you're in love with is taken from you? You know how to find out how you're in love with somebody? You know it when they leave. You will guard it jealously. Right, what if, just think about this. What if somebody said, and I know Greg wouldn't do this, you know, we're going to cut out Wednesday night services. You know, half of y'all show up and it's not real exciting. I mean, what would you do? Would you come up here and beat down the door and demand it? Or are you like, I don't know, it's probably a good idea. You know, or what would you do if somebody said, listen, you can't play another video game for the rest of your life because it's a total waste of time. You would argue with me until the cows come home. Like, Dad, this is not in the Bible and I don't even understand what you're talking about. All this stuff. That's how you know you're in love with something. If somebody told me you never have to eat a shellfish again, I'd be like, it's good. Scallops, mussels, zero temptation. But if somebody said, look, pizza is off limits for you the rest of your life, would kill someone you you really i mean you you, you'd kill someone and all this tells me is who you're really in love with this is how you know if you're told you can't do something and you resent it you're angry you're frustrated you're in love with it most people view church again as just a, a mild spiritual opportunity where i can't wait to get done so that i can go back to the world who i'm really in love with and do all those things Brethren, it's tough. Because if we said, listen, we've been deciding as elders, we're going to have three services on Sunday. Five services. We're going to meet in ten minute breaks and we're going to meet all day. Would you be excited or would you be upset? You see, those things start to get us to see what the rich young ruler felt. Don't mess with my life and my stuff. i got the balance, Stephen. I've got it. Okay? I can love God a whole lot and I love the world a little bit less. And I can have fun here, and I'm going to have fun there, and I'm going to tell you you're going to lose it all. I'll give you an example as you close. There was a guy, and I had just started preaching, who was like any other guy, young kid. He was going to public school, and, you know, 
a lot of people go to public school. I mean, you may be a homeschool crowd. You may be a public school crowd. I don't know. I went to public school. We're homeschooling now, so I've, I've seen it both. But, you know, it's not, not a real big deal, right? I mean, you can still grow up fine going to public school. But he had a lot of public school friends. And he played on the football team. And, you know, you're gone a lot when you play on the football team. You got a bunch of friends. But his parents were getting worried about him. You know, some things are happening. You just wonder if you're getting into stuff. And I think his parents knew that maybe he was getting into drugs or experiencing those things. And I'll never forget the time a guy that worshipped at our church who was an EMT came up and he said, Stephen, I need to talk to you, but I don't know exactly how I'm supposed to do this because we, we tend to keep this medical stuff quiet. But we ran a call the other night and it was some kids at a party that, you know, had OD'd and, you know, were near death. And so we're running this call as an ambulance and we're picking them up. And I look over there and I see this kid from church on the couch, passed out. You know, what do you do, you know, when this stuff comes to fruition and you look back on your life and you say, it's too late. You know, he fell away from church, years of rehab, couldn't even live at home because of all the negative associations that were around. He's just now, years later, you know, trying to pick up the pieces of a broken life. And where did it start? It started with exposure to the world, right? Just normal people. But it started then to spiral because time was spent more and more with the people of the world and things of the world. And all of a sudden, you're head over heels in love with what the world offers, which is drugs, alcohol, sex, I mean, all those things. And then the next thing you know, you're gone. Because here's the reality. You will never serve two masters. If you go down the path of the world, you're going to give God up. And He did. I don't want you to do that as Christians. I don't want that to be you. I don't want that to be my kids. I don't want it to be yours. And if you're a young person, I definitely don't want it to be you. If you don't think these things are real, let me tell you, I've seen it with my own eyes. The kids that fall away have too much exposure to the world. And so I'm going to close like we began. Friendship with the world is enmity with God. It just is. If you are in love with the world, you have become, and this is the scariest thing I can tell you today, you have become an enemy of God. Now I want you to think about what being an enemy of God would be like. You know, sometimes we like to watch the underdog play football. I'm an Auburn fan, so hopefully if you're a Tennessee fan, we just all hate Alabama. Um, I know we got Cody and some Alabama fans in here. I apologize. But... You know, you like to root for the underdog, right? Because maybe there's a chance they're going to be able to pull off the upset. But if God is your enemy, let me explain something to you. There is no chance that you are ever going to escape. Like there is no amount of attempts at being halfway decent. That None of that is ever going to matter if God is out to get you. And you can run from God and God will have, like Jonah, swallowed by a fish. You can run away from God and God will put an angel in the way uh, like Balak and the donkey. I mean, look, God will handle His business. And as much as it is fun to think about God being on your side, it should be terrifying to think of God being your enemy. What are you going to do? Where are you going to go? What hope do you have if God is against you? And I'm here to tell you 
that if you're a friend of the world, God is your enemy. I don't want that to be you. We're going to close this portion of the service with an invitation. And you can change all that right now. But you've got to commit to doing different. You've got to commit to being different. And you've got to commit to following Jesus. Now, I assume you believe in Jesus. That's the foundation of all of it. And if you do and you're willing to confess that and make that change, then baptism will be effective for you. And when you come up out of that water, you can go from being an enemy of God to an adopted son or daughter. Now, just how being an enemy of God is scary, does it get any better than being adopted into the family of God? Like, you don't go from just being a friend, you know, or an acquaintance. You go all the way to the, the, the penthouse. You go to being a son of God and a joint heir with Christ. If you need to make your life right with Him, why don't you come forward as we stand and sing a song to encourage you.